This is Owen Tinder Jones. I'm Owen Vaughan Williams. This is Tash Harden. And you are listening to the Owen Tinder Podcast. Hello and welcome to the latest Coleman Had a Dream podcast, uh, a fairly subdued uh, podcast this week uh, after the news of Joe Allen going to miss the Euros yesterday. Um, I'm here as ever with Ruth. Hello, Ruth. Hello. Oh, that sounded very cheery, actually. I thought you were going to be, um, I was expecting kind of continual sobbing to I come guess, across. I guess I guess the coffee might be, might be kicking in, but yeah, I mean, just terrible news yesterday. Feel, feel so much... Joe Allen, there's if there's a single player in our squad that has kind of earned the right to be at a tournament and has given 110% every time he's put on the shirt, it's Joe Allen. And um, just your heart breaks for him missing it and, and just having to deal with a serious injury. I mean, this is not a this is not a quick turnaround type of injury either. This is a long process. Absolutely, and uh, you know, just to echo that, it's obviously heartbreaking for for us and heartbreaking for Joe and and the Wales team as well. Um, I'd imagine a lot of his teammates are going to be um, as upset as we are by all of this. Um, so we are going to talk a little bit more about Joe and his uh, Achilles injury and obviously what that means for him, but also for some of the other te- players in the team and in the squad. We're also going to talk about the Wales women's 2-0, comfortable 2-0 victory over Estonia on Friday night. And then the main bulk is us going to be talking about the Nation League, um, the draw for that, uh, the opposition and kind of what it means for us uh, as, a, as a footballing nation. So just to kind of take a little step back there, Ruth, and continue with the, with the Joe Allen chat. Um, assuming that Ampadu will start or I'm assuming anyway, that Ampadu will start the first game uh, in the Euros against Switzerland, who would you have alongside him? Uh, or would you even start Ampadu? Would you put him somewhere else or would you have two completely other people uh, as that midfield too? It's an interesting one, isn't it? I think if I go with your assumption that Ampadu is one of the two, I would probably be pairing him with Morel. Although... Folks has been making a case with his recent play in Cardiff to be to be back involved in that. Yeah, scored yesterday. Personally, though, I'm not sure I would. At, yeah, personally, though, I'm not sure I would necessarily be starting Ampadu given the um, lack of game time he's getting at Leipzig. It did look like that was improving, but it's dropped off again. Um, so there may be a case for Morel and Vokes actually, as opposed to Ampadu and. Uh, but I think it's probably two of those three currently. If we go a bit more outside the box, um, I don't think we can dismiss the idea of dropping Ramsey back and pairing him, say, with Morel or even Ampadu, uh, and perhaps put Johnny Williams in the in the the role that he had in the qualifiers in the autumn and played well while Ramsey was still injured. I don't like that because I don't. I feel it kind of cages Ramsey's potential. Uh, but I think there might be a case for being pragmatic, perhaps in the first game, and making sure that we're strong in that central midfield, particularly in that first game. I think that you're, you're right in a sense that I, I, I agree with what you've said there about Ampadu in, in regards to his playing time. Personally, I don't see that as an issue. He's, he's always, for Wales, been that way where... He's not really playing club football, but often plays well and for us and performs pretty pretty exceptionally when when he does come in. So personally, I would I would still start Ampadu. I think he's got to be the main man in that midfield now. Um, as alongside him, the the, the Volks or Morel argument is a, is an interesting one because Volks has been playing really really well of late for Cardiff, but equally I know Morel has been doing well for for Lincoln as well. Um, I would worry that he's he's a League One player at the minute and. I think that maybe it might be a bit too much of a jump for him. I also really like that Vaults can do those long throws, which I think can be really effective for us. So I think there's there's an added element of that for me. Um, the other question about Ramsey um, is it's a definite no for me on that front. I think bringing him into that midfield is kind of unnecessary. Um, and I think it takes away a lot of, of what we can do. And I think... That role of him linking the midfield and defence, uh, midfield and attack, sorry, is so key for us. 
Um, I think that if we kind of remove him from that role, I think we are kind of hindering ourselves a little bit because I don't think he'll be as effective um, playing from a deeper role. Um, I've had uh, a tweet from Football Gaz who's asked a similar sort of question about part- who would partner Ampadu. Um, but perhaps the opportunity or possibility of switching to a 4-3-3, having Ramsey play as an 8 rather than a 10, um, but obviously that involves a, a kind of a formation shift. What, what do you think about that? I kind of feel like we've finally, you know, finally got our formation or at least a formation that we can rely on. I'd be a bit loath for us to start stirring that pot and messing with that again it's, it's taken us in my mind as far too long to get where we are um and you know based based on other discussions we have we now actually in some respects do actually have a choice for strikers having not yeah. <laughs> having been searching for our striker we've now find we've now actually got a little gaggle of them potentially to choose from. So, is that the official um, term for a set of strikers? A gaggle of strikers. <laughs> a gaggle. Okay, yeah, that's good to yeah, know. I'm I sure that's the right term. <laughs> I, did, I, I, um, I didn't know that one, so that's, that's good knowledge all around. <laughs> Sorry, carry on. Um, so, I, I, you know, I, I, I don't think I'd want to uh, the four three three because it wasn't working for us. It wasn't working for us when we had some someone with the drive and versatility of Alan steering it. I, I, I don't think it's for us anyway, and I certainly don't think it's for us in these circumstances. I think that um, the fact that at the moment, as things stand, we'd only have three games to kind of embed that would be a bit of a concern. Um, I also think that the... I don't know that we've got someone who can kind of come in and link the play, uh, even if Ramsey plays as an eight. I, I think it just requires too much kind of fiddling, for want of a better word. Um, and, I, and I just don't think we have the time. And I'm not sure, and again, I'm not trying to be critical of Giggs here. I just don't think he's got the... I'm not sure he's maybe got the tactical now, per se, to kind of necessarily do that at the minute. Um, so I'm not... On that one, it's a, it's a no for me on that one. Um, I also had a message off Dylan on Twitter at June Cymru, who has just list, given us a list of who some of the options, other options could be. Um, obviously, we talked about Volks and Morel, but were there to be a fourth person um, who comes into that squad now, uh, could we be looking at Matt Smith, Dylan Levitt, Emma Hughes, Andy King, I mean, even Lee Evans, who I'd forgotten about. Um, so there's... There are kind of more options for us if if we want them. Do you think we would end up taking a fourth central midfielder now, or do you think we'll still, like we said on the previous pod, have a have a three there? Um, and who do you think that fourth could be? I think I think the difficulty now of going with just Ampadu, Vokes, and Morel potentially as the holders is. Um, well, one you're one in, you're one injury away from a mess again, as we were as we've well seen, um, and the knock-on effect to the number of central defensive players starts to have an impact because I think you and I had started to get to the point where we we were having Ampadu in the squad almost in two roles, and so it helped numbers elsewhere in your 23. Um, I think now he's he's probably penciled in basically as a as a central midfielder and then hence that has has knock-on effects to your your choices for central defenders absolutely and i think uh it's such a it's such a difficult situation to kind of get a a, a good enough answer out of at the moment i think i mean looking at the the other names there dylan levitt i think he's got a lot of potential but i think it's way too early for him Emmy Hughes um, has kind of had a reasonable season, but again, I'm not sure if he's there. Andy King, Lee Evans, I'm not sure if they're a bit... I, I, I certainly think Andy King might not be as kind of able to get around as, as he used to, but I mean, could be a good kind of backup just to kind of, I don't know, control games, I guess, if we need to. I mean, I mean, could Joe Ledley come back from the absolute abyss and, and play I, I don't know I, I feel like we're going a bit too far down the line there if we would to take a fourth I think it just for the experience of playing in the system and playing with a manager and everything else it probably have to be Matt Smith but um, 
I know he's not exactly had a great season this season with his low move to QPR initially not really working out. So I do think it's uh, you know it's a shame, and it it also kind of exposes our lack of depth in the area that we've always been a little bit concerned about. Like we know we've got plenty of attacking wide players, we've got a decent number of defenders, we've got a decent like we've got a gaggle as in fact of strikers. <laughs> um, Whereas we've always been thin, or of late anyway, been thin in that kind of midfield area. And this has obviously thinned that out even more. So for me, if there's an extra person who'd go, it'd be Matt Smith, just because he's used to the situation. But I'm not really sure that that's a good enough reason to take someone. But yeah, I think we're probably going to have to take someone. I think it will probably be Matt Smith. I think he'd be my choice if you were just looking at that as a, a, a four, kind of a boxed in four, and you had to put four people into that box. Um I think the more likely scenario, though, if we, if for some reason we need to move someone, you know, if for some reason Ampadu's had to go into Central D and, I don't know, Morel's picked up too many yellow cards and suddenly, I think at that point, we're probably going to drop Ramsey back. I, I think I, I think you're probably right. I really don't want that to happen, but I think you're probably right. Um, I do think that maybe would limit whether we could take Johnny... Um, I don't think he'll he'll end up being able to go. I think he was maybe on the on the brink. I know he played yesterday. I think he started actually yesterday for Charlton as well. But I, I, I don't think he's ever really played in a kind of midfield two. And I don't know uh, whether he would go as the kind of Ramsey replacement number ten. I mean, it really does kind of open up a lot of interesting questions, which we're we're not going to fully go into now. But um, again, like we said earlier, with Ampadu kind of penciled in for two roles, he now has to be realistically just just a central midfielder um does that mean we have to take an extra center back like uh, it does kind of open up a, a lot of interesting questions which we'll which we'll obviously look in further detail at another time um mm -hmm. the a quick thing actually someone well two people have actually tweeted that uh who is it sorry um ian uh, has asked it's all good Alan will be in fit will be fit in time for the Euros as it's going to be in 2021 <laughs> um, and uh, <laughs> fearless in devotion uh, Rex and Fanzine have said this, well I, one, I asked a few questions actually but that was one of the ones the coronavirus threatening the tournament um, mm. very briefly do you think that that is something that is a possibility or or is a realistic possibility I do think it's a realistic possibility you look at the situation in Italy particularly at the minute I mean they're, they're quarantining huge proportions of the population I think ironically the particular nature of the tournament this summer where we're moving literally hundreds of thousands of people around the continent is particularly open to this sort of problem um, I know they've started to get a bit jumpy about the Olympics over in Japan it's not you know it's not that date wise it's not that far away before they would probably have to pull the plug on that um I I do think the tournament's at risk to be honest I think um quite how they'd go about it whether they cancel it completely postpone it do some sort of version of the tournament I'd, I I honestly don't quite know I think for me, I haven't really thought through thought through my thoughts on that part of it. Yeah, I, for me, I think it's a weird one in that because it's in so many places, like you said, the moving around aspect of it very much changes the the outlook of the situation. I do think I can see two things. One is this is, would cost UEFA so much money if they didn't go ahead with it, having it being their 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 big thing for this kind of mobile tournament. Um, so I, I think there's a, an element where I just think they just don't want to lose the money and they would just kind of get on with it and hope for the best. Um, my kind of second alternative would be that we end up having the tournament, but without certain places. So one or two countries or areas mm -hmm. that are used to hosting these big events or football tournaments would kind of pick up a few more. And you'd think that looking around the UK, there's extra stadiums that we could use quite easily. Um, I mean, I don't know how they would get booked or whatever. That's obviously logistics-wise another question. But you'd imagine that, for example, there's going to be stadiums around 
the UK that would have go could find availability. Um, and you'd imagine in kind of affected areas, like I know Germany, I think, is the fifth most affected area uh, in the world for coronavirus. Um, you'd question whether they'd maybe take that game up, the, the Munich games away from them and, and have them somewhere else, perhaps. Mm-hmm. I can definitely see there being some alterations, but I think the, the chances of it being actually cancelled, in my opinion, just for purely financial basis, I think is really unlikely myself. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if ultimately they could even do something weird where the games happen behind closed doors. They're still getting their television money, you know. Um, the difficulty, of course, is that a lot of people have committed to travel plans, have committed to flights and accommodation. Um, and unless, you know, the the World Health Organization or different or a different sort of governing overarching body actually says you know it is not safe for people to travel to i don't know let's just say athens because it's not one of the cities concerned then um people are are perhaps still going to travel because they've got those they've got those reservations and they've got those flights and obviously you'll make a personal decision whether you think it's worth it to you and your family and the risk factors and things but ironically the moving around the continent might there might be such a level of commitment that a lot of that is going to happen anyway. Yeah, I that that's that I hadn't thought of that actually. That's a very very good point. Mm-hmm. It, for, if it were me, were I going and I'd already booked flights and accommodation and whatever else, then I don't think I wouldn't go just because just <laughs> the, at this point the the cost the outlay of the cost is so great. I don't know. It's an interesting one. Um, we have a few more questions. Uh, to kind of go through I'm just going to go through Fearless in Devotion did send us a couple um, so I just thought we'd kind of rattle through these very quickly first of all seems a bit superfluous Mm -hmm. now if that's the right way to say that word Um, but what do do you think of Joe Allen's haircut? (laughs) I hadn't really thought if I'm honest wow Um, come on you're going to be ready for the hot topics here Ruth you know well, actually, I mean, I've had a haircut and you haven't commented. So, you know, that's, that's our observation level when it comes to haircuts. <laughs> uh, apologies um, all around. Ruth I has d- had I a haircut like, looks great. I do like the rather, um, the rather kind of uh, 1960s hippie look on Joe, I have to be honest. That's my preferred look for him. Not that I'm any expert. <laughs> It makes me. It makes him look like a. Makes him look a, a lot younger. I thought. Um, but yeah, uh, maybe, maybe. But yeah, yeah, unfortunately, not particularly relevant anymore. Um, <laughs> the leaked away kit. I don't know if you've seen this. The kind of yellow yes. with the green stripes. Um, mm-hmm. uh, they have asked that, and as a follow up to that, the ninety fourth minute uh, have also said. If you're designing a third kit or an away kit for Wales, what would your kit be? And what is your favourite third or away kit uh, for Wales as well? So I thought those were an interesting combination of questions. Um, first off, what do you think of the the potential kit? The, the only photo I've seen was, very, was one um, where you couldn't really particularly see much of the detail to it. Um, I'm happy it's yellow. I think fundamentally that was probably my main criteria. Um, not sure I'd have necessarily gone for the green stripes, but I can I can basically live live with what I've seen thus far. Um, I think that the yellow that we had in that the yellow and black that we had in that one-off kind of thrown together kit, ironically, when we were in Moldova, I think is actually one of my favourites alternate strips i thought the white one with the green that we had recently was okay actually um but yeah i favor the yellow so on on the on that basis i'm happy enough with what i've seen of the leaked kit i um i'm happy that it's yellow again i don't think i would have gone for the green stripes i'd also have seen that um the the new mls season has started and a lot of the new adidas shirts they have for the mls teams are the same sort of style of designer of ours with a kind of open v-neck sort of thing but they've got like three big stripes kind of just kind of just over the shoulder and i really like that so i was kind of hoping that we are awake it would be the yellow but with some sort of 
design on those three stripes mm-hmm. on the shoulder, um, which I obviously isn't going to happen by the looks of it. But uh, that was what I was hoping for. I don't. To be honest, I think it's not bad. I wouldn't like the. I don't like the green, but I'm happy with the yellow. In terms of our kind of favourite away kits, I really do like the the current white one actually i've got to say and that the the, the yellow one that you mentioned there one of my favorite ones oh, I'm, and i'm gonna forget the year now but i should have done a bit more research on this um was an adidas one from i think i want to say like 2014 it was white and it had um the red stripe detail um it was like the, like a really nice color red um, I thought that was oh, really like with the, almost kit. the horizontal red on the shoulder. Is that yeah. the one you think? Yeah, yeah. I yeah. thought they yeah. were really. Yeah, that nice. was okay. Yeah. Um, and obviously, no one likes the uh, the black and grey <laughs> kit that we wore at the, yeah. the away kit that we wore at the Euros. <laughs> but I do think we've had a couple of good 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 combos over the year. That um, the yellow and green Adidas one from the eighties, I think it was. I think you've mm-hmm. got like the remade one of those, haven't you? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I really like that. Um, and obviously the the Hummel white and red ones I thought were um, glorious. So <laughs> those, those would be kind of up there for me. Um, to move on a little bit uh, from kits, the um, situation uh, in goal, I'm intrigued on your thought of that very, very briefly. Um, Fearless and Devotion, uh, again, is, asked, is there like the goalkeeping conundrum, who plays? Um I think we could probably do a full pod on that at some point, but um, <laughs> I think it still has to be Wayne Hennessy for me. I, I don't see a change in, in situation. Um, none of the other strikers, uh, strikers, none of the other goalkeepers are, are particularly playing or playing regularly or playing well. So, um, Well, if your criteria is people are playing, we've got strikers we could put in goal. <laughs> yeah, we do. That's the only thing we do have a lot of, a, a gaggle of strikers. Um, so uh, I assume you're kind of saying the same to, about me. Yeah, uh, I, I, uh, right at the minute, I can't really see anyone putting any realistic pressure on on Hennessy at the moment. It's far from ideal, but equally, he played he played well in the autumn with you know no real play under his belt. Um, being in a in a squad situation for you know a few weeks leading up might actually be just what he needs to then be ready for the for a tournament but there's nobody putting enough pressure on to take that shirt from him at the minute exactly i mean if you look at the alternatives hugh davis i don't know if, if anyone follows him but would be worth having a look at on twitter uh has done a great little thread uh, over the weekend of the players and how they're doing at the moment kind of it does push the myth that we're uh, we have a lot of strength in depth to just be that a bit of a myth at the moment. But anyway, that's another story. Um, Wayne Hennessy has played fewer games for his uh, club than his country. Adam Davis has played once in the cup. Danny Ward has played four times in the cup. Tom King has just conceded two goals in nine games. Uh, t- sorry, nine goals in two League Two games. So you do have to kind of wonder if there's even kind of much of a conversation to be had there. Um, yeah. In that, in that sense. To move on a little bit again to now look at the women's game, um, the women had a, an impressive performance and, and result, I thought, against Estonia, who were ranked 90-something in the world, so not necessarily the most challenging of opponents, but they were kind of well-organised, and I was really impressed with the, with the way Wales dominated the game. Uh, what, was your, what was your thoughts? Yeah, same, basically. I thought, in fairness to Estonia, they were very organised, um, made us work, which in that sense was a, was a good run out for a friendly. Um, they didn't really pose much threat, but for, for certainly for us going forward, where our problems have been, I thought it was actually a good opposition. They were very well drilled. Um, the, it was good to see a few people, three of the younger players, getting some time. Um, the fact that Claire Skinner got on for a half, I think that's just a valuable use of the, of a friendly, you know, get you get some time into your goalkeepers, get them used to the environment. Um, it was in I think the most interesting thing was the was the three up front kind of formation uh, that Ludlow went for, which we haven't really played before. Uh, and I'm wondering, you know, quite quite where we're going with that uh with the qualifiers coming up i think that was the most striking thing for me 
I think for me that was that was one of the most interesting things in that that obviously hinted at a development of a of a notable plan B. Um, mm-hmm. I think it kind of worked and it kind of didn't. I thought the movement and the kind of the way that the the three played, who were Tash and Kaylee Green and uh, Megan Wynn, I thought they were kind of handful with their movement and what they were able to mm-hmm. kind of do. With that said, I do think there was one too many times where the kind of final ball was just a bit out or just a bit in the wrong place. Or, and I appreciate that is something that is obviously going to come with time. I, pre- I like mm-hmm. the idea, but I, di- I do think we were a little bit kind of I don't, waste, wasteful is a bit harsh. Um, I don't think we were wasteful, but I, in, the, in the way that we kind of utilised those three, I thought. Um, but overall, I thought I was so impressed with the performance, the way we kind of moved the ball around. I did a little thread on it yesterday. I thought Sophie Ingle was just... Absolute. She looked like she was from a different planet. Um, <laughs> I thought the way that our fullbacks, especially Rayan on Roberts, got forward was really effective mm-hmm. and kind of made us a real, like a, a, a genuine five in midfield almost at times. And um, the way they were pushing forward with the three up front, so I, I, I felt it really worked well. Um, as I say, <coughs> sorry. As I say, I think it was a bit of a shame that we didn't score more because I think we had the possession and the, and the opportunities yeah. to do so. But all things, all things said, you can't really complain about a dominant victory like that, a two nil victory when it could have been more. Um, mm-hmm. I think all in, it was a, obviously a valuable exercise. Yeah. I mean, I think they're in fairness, their goalkeeper had a good game, particularly in the first half, um, in a couple of saves from, from Kaylee green that on another day could have, could have gone an inch the other way. Um, I thought Megan Wynn played really well, really pleased for her to get her first goal. Um, some of the crosses, uh, I thought some of Angara James's crosses in particular, and you've mentioned uh, Rachel Rowe already, I thought they played really well, giving, giving that width. Um, so, I mean, all in all, it strikes me that it was exactly what you'd want from a friendly. Um, it was clear in her post-game interview that Ludlow was perhaps even more concerned about the time together as a squad than she was particular about the game per se. And it was interesting. And Helen brought this up in the podcast as well, didn't yeah, she? she? Our did. last podcast that nor- quite often that this point in the year, they're off playing a mini tournament somewhere with two or three games. And, um, and yet this time they'd gone for more squad time and, and the one friendly. So I think there's been a very conscious decision in in that regard. And perhaps this three at the front is just a manifestation of, of it, you know, something they've obviously worked on in their, in their squad time. So um, it sounds like it's been a very productive week, 10 days for them. No, I agree. And like you said, in terms of the things you want to get out of a friendly, I think this ticked yeah. literally every box. Your goalkeeper got a half, although I think she probably could have been sat there with a deck chair at one point. But um, I think she got a half, which is obviously important <laughs> for her. Um, I think the way we moved the ball was was interesting. I think the fact that we're obviously looking for that plan B was interesting. Um, and I think that it showed that we are willing to kind of look and develop and try new things, which I thought was great. And as you say, you know, a couple more shots go slightly the other way and that could be, you know, a four or five no win. So altogether, I think it was a, it was yeah. a great performance and great exercise. I really enjoyed the way that we stretched the game with the fullbacks with Rachel Rowe and Rhiannon Roberts. Mm-hmm. And as I say, I, I felt the way that Sophie Ingle kept kind of pressing and then always seemed to be in the right place to kind of recycle the ball once we'd turned it over was great. In fact, there's just the fact that we pushed pressed higher up the pitch made such a difference. So the back line could push up as well. Yeah, um, yeah. Altogether, I, I, I think there's, I think there's nothing, nothing negative really to say about the whole exercise. I thought it was uh, a great performance all round. Yeah, I think the point about the pressing was important. I think the speed at which we were on their players and winning the ball back again was really impressive. And you know, personally speaking, just great to see more games up in Wrexham. Nice to see the crowd out enjoying themselves. Absolutely. I think there were 2,000, just over 2,000 people, which was uh, obviously a very good number. Um, the thing I found really annoying from a logistics perspective, and I don't know how this is rectified, but it really annoyed me that all 2,000 people were making a decent amount of noise, but all, were on the on the camera side. So it looked mm-hmm. like there were nine people in the ground when it was actually a decent number. Um 
and I don't know whether obviously that had been advertising or for whatever reason they did that, but I thought it was a big shame that you can actually see the the numbers that had turned up to support them. I mean, I don't, I can't imagine that was terribly high up on on people's checklists, but I I do think there's a momentum to spectators that comes from seeing, let's say, a 10-minute, 15-minute highlight of that game and seeing a dynamic crowd involved and thinking, oh, this is, you know, this is an event that would be fun to go to. And I do think you miss that, that opportunity. So, um, but I, I think a, a ground like the race course, you probably haven't got much choice on, on that orientation. No, very true. I, I just thought it was uh, it was a bit of a shame in, in, in what it ended up looking like. But um, one more thing I just wanted to say on the on the women before we move on. I've been so impressed recently with what everyone has been doing in regards the momentum. You've just used the word there is such a good word. (laughs) The momentum used to kind of drive an interest in in women's football, but just football in general. Um, The way that the women have done this has been so impressive to me. The, the little meet and greets they've done and signing things for fans and always see, seeming so available and all the Welsh language stuff they've done of late. And I, I just think the way they present Welsh football to to the world, so to speak, I think is so impressive. And I think they should be really, really proud of the impact that they've had. Yeah, I think the FAW in, in general, actually, you look at the, the surge in numbers of girls and women playing football um, that's happened in the last three years or so. Uh, they should take a lot of pride in that. It's it's something that they put on their development plan and, and, and it's something they're delivering. So, you know, pat on the back, definitely. Absolutely. And, and I saw that the, I, f- I forget the percentage, but the, the, the oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, the participation numbers, there you go. Um, those have risen exponentially for, for girls, especially in the last in the last 18 months or so. And again, like you say, that's something they should absolutely be very, very proud of. And it, it's one that dev- development plan is really shown and it's, and it's really worked. It's really going places. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, that's great for football in Wales, uh, not just for, for girls football, but football in, in general, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, the main thing that we were going to talk about today was the, the, our mini pod, which is now half an hour in. Um, the main thing we were going to talk about today was the Nations League draw. Wales got pulled, uh, pulled uh, got drawn against Bulgaria, Republic of Ireland and Finland. I mean, Republic of Ireland, it's just like, We've obviously got some sort of symbiotic relationship going with that, with that football team. That means we can't be separated too long. Um, but of, I mean, overall, I think we've got every reason to be pretty happy with that draw. Uh, I think you know we inevitably, by definition, in the nations leagues, the four teams are are relatively close together in the, in the rankings. Um, so you you could imagine a scenario where any one of those teams beats any of the others, but I, you know, we we are in we were in pot one. We are notionally the seed in that group, and I I think we should be pleased with how it's worked out, and we we have you know potential to to head that group. I couldn't agree with you more. I think, as you say, we are the number one seed. The, the teams are kind of much of a muchness, and when I, I looked mm-hmm. at their kind of everyone's qualifying campaign for the Euros we were all relatively speaking on a similar number of points with slightly different games mm-hmm. played and stuff but so I, I do think it is a bit much of a muchness but I also do think we have enough to to be looking to win that group I'd imagine that um, you know the Finnish you know Pookie had a dream podcast will be probably <laughs> saying the same thing um, about the group in general um, the one thing I do want to just touch on before we uh, kind of go a bit deeper on the football side is mm-hmm. I would just be wary of people going to Bulgaria you know they had their qualifying campaign was very much marred by mm. racism and Nazi salutes and monkey noises and stadium partial closures and all this all this uh, other stuff which is obviously completely unacceptable um, so that kind of is, is a shame for me from a from a footballing perspective that we as fans and as, as, as players have to go um to to that country and uh, mm-hmm. potentially put ourselves in a in a damaging situation and i don't want to kind of i don't want to be too serious about the whole thing but i do think it is a serious issue and i would really really hope that we as fans don't get caught up in any 
kind of trouble or whatever that's going to happen or could happen over there um, because of the, you know, what has, you know, very much been very negative, I guess, and, and rightly so, viewpoint, viewpoints of, of their fans and, and their football culture over there. Yeah, no, that's that's a good point. Um, obviously, Bulgaria got what UEFA would describe as a heftier than normal ban following uh, the racist um, issues in the England qualifying game. Uh, but, you know, looking from the outside in, it still didn't seem like adequate punishment for what happened. I don't think there's really um, any agenda or any real development there in terms of uh, really wanting to address this um, I think in a strange way, the fact that that's the second game in a double header for us, we, we play the Republic and then we play Bulgaria, you know, maybe we won't have quite as many folks traveling. People might just head to Dublin and perhaps not go on to Sofia. Uh, but I agree with you. I think it's a pity that people have to even, people should, shouldn't even have to consider that as an issue when they're following their team. And certainly the players on the pitch should not have to deal with what ultimately they might have to deal with. Yeah, no, I, I couldn't agree more. Um, and I hope that I hope it's something that doesn't happen. Um, to look at the, the teams themselves then and the, the games, Finland obviously qualified for their first ever tournament in the, in the Euros. They came second in a group to Italy. Um, it was interesting, actually. They had a great start to the campaign, but kind of did tail off fairly notably. I think they only won one of their last five matches. I'm just um, it was Liechtenstein and Armenia were the, were the two of the last five that they won. Um, they, I mean, I don't think they were in that tough a group. They had Italy, who kind of dominated the group, and then Bosnia, Liechtenstein, Armenia, and Greece. I think they're a good side who are, who are maybe not a good side. I think they're a capable side. Um, and obviously mm-hmm. have a big threat up front in Timo Puki. But again, he's kind of, and I don't know whether that's just the way that Norwich are playing, but he's kind of dried up goals-wise of, of late a little bit um, as well. So I don't I don't see them as a, as a particularly large threat. And I really, I'll be intrigued to see how they do in the Euros, whether they'll kind of go there and make a splash like we did four years ago, or whether they'll just be sort of happy to have got there. Um, what are you, What are your thoughts? Yeah, they're they're an interesting case. Um, I can I can see quite a lot of mirroring with how we qualified for Euro sixteen. Actually, we kind of went off the boil at the end. They've done something similar. Um, obviously, they've they've gone into the group that we avoided, the Belgian, Russia, Denmark group, um, which is going to be a, a tough group for them. They've got an interesting run of friendlies coming up, which I think kind of reflects the fact that they get, they they're sort of creeping up the echelons of teams they've got frenzies uh friendlies with poland and france uh this month uh, this month and then sweden and estonia uh later on uh prior to the to the tournament um puki as you mentioned isn't scoring as much for norwich but he's actually scored eight goals in his last six for finland um good stat so Something's something's working there for him, uh, but they're a very hot and cold team. I was looking at their um, their slightly longer term game pattern, and they actually haven't had a draw in two years. They've gone twenty one games without having a draw, um, so they, it tends to be a bit all or nothing with them, um, which again may may suit us. I think I think in some respects those kind of um, sit back and hang on to a nil-nil or sit back and hang on to a 1-1 kind of teams are often quite hard for us to break down. Yeah. So if the if the Finns are a bit more gung-ho, um, maybe that will maybe that will help us. No, I can see that. I, I agree with that. And I think that'll suit the way we play um, just as much as, as it obviously does for them at times as well. Um, yeah. Looking at Ireland, they too had kind of a, a very strong start to the... Mm-hmm. Euros campaign and then kind of tailed off. They beat Gibraltar and Georgia uh, early on. Then they drew with Denmark and I think it was Switzerland. Yeah, they had a couple of draws with Denmark and a draw with Switzerland. They only in the last ten games they've only actually lost one. They lost um, uh, to Switzerland. So again, they they seem to have kind of found themselves a little bit after um, after the mess of the the nations 
league. Um, they, they've obviously got the qualifying playoff games coming up. Um, yeah, they got away Slovakia, in Slovakia. Yeah. Away in Slovakia, yeah, and could end up playing Northern Ireland, obviously, depending on quite what happens in their yeah. in their respective games. Um, I, I think they're on a bit of a. I think they're swinging in the right direction. I mean, they're never an easy team to play against, I don't mm. think, apart from that 4-1, obviously, but they're never an yeah. easy team to play against. Um, and you're right, they are, they, you know, I, I didn't realise actually how quite how good their finish had been that they'd only lost once, and that was when they had 10 players as well. They had a man sent off there. Mm. But they did start off very well. I, I, I would mm. say that... That's right, yeah. Looking at their group, they... You know, it wasn't an easy group with, with Denmark and, and Switzerland, but they also had... Georgia and Gibraltar as well so it wasn't the toughest um so I'd imagine that they mm-hmm. will you know probably fancy their chances given their given their recent recent record sorry um uh, when they go into the playoffs against Slovakia I did see actually they also played Bulgaria a friendly somewhere in that and beat them 3-1 as well so that's an interesting uh, little side note um mm-hmm. I, I think they are just a very functional well-drilled well-organized team who are basically going to try and score one goal and then shut up shop so uh, you know like the 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 games were recently i don't think they're going to be kind of a laugh a minute thrilling matches but um i do think that they, it will be a tough test because they do kind of defend very stoutly and mm. i think that will obviously kind of provide a challenge for for anyone yeah agree i think um Relative to our style of play, I think they may be the toughest opposition in the group. Yeah, I mean they they did lose. They like you said, they've only lost once in in in, a, in ten, I think it was, like you said. But they also have only won once in five as well. So mm-hmm. you know, it kind of goes both ways that one, I guess. They did score the same amount of points overall in the qualifying campaign as us, um, but uh, because of Switzerland and. Denmark, they, Denmark. They, they they came yeah. they came behind them. Um, I don't know. I, I'm just not excited about the possibility of playing them. I think Finland will be interesting, but I'm just excited about that. Um, that is the only away game on a Saturday as well, which is also fairly upsetting. So um, I think I'm going to try and go to that one with uh, with those. I don't think you need an excuse to go to Dublin, though, really, do no, you? Or, 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 to, or to go drinking and watch football. It is very much my favourite thing. Um, the last one then, on, from a footballing perspective of Bulgaria, um, they obviously were in what I think is quite an easy group. Um, obviously, England kind of ran away with it, but um, the Czech Republic, Kosovo, um, not exactly the most challenging of groups. Um, and they actually only won one game, I think. Yeah, they've, they've, they've certainly only won one in the last five. They're in pretty poor form at the moment. Their most recent game was a, a friendly against Belarus about two weeks ago or so and they actually lost that which I think is an interesting marker for us given how we did in our friendly against Belarus it's, it's difficult to judge obviously um, and again they go into some playoff games they play um, Hungary um, on the 26th yeah, uh, and then they're the ones you know that's potentially Iceland and Romania's route to the Euros um, I think We'd all love to see Iceland there again. Absolutely. Um, uh, and then, uh, yeah, and, the, and, and unfortunately, whoever does make it through ends up in that terrible group with Portugal, France, and Germany. Yeah. So you, you, you wonder how hard you how hard you want that win, really. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> if you don't want to get embarrassed, then when you actually get there, um, I think yeah, with them, I mean, looking at their group and everything, the the, the one win was against. Uh, the Czech Republic, ironically, on the, on the last game when they had already kind of come second and, and confirmed their place. Yeah. Um, I think of the of the three other teams, I think they're the the team you'd probably look at to have a, a home and away win against. Um, mm-hmm. But you know, I, I do think going to Sofia, regardless of the problems we talked about before, will be will be a tricky test um, for for everyone in that group, really. Yeah, and I also think. Part of me thinks that the way the games have fallen out in terms of the order and who were playing when, home and away and things, I, I think it's fallen out 
all right for us. Um, certainly could have been worse. Um, but, you know, to do to play Ireland away, probably have a heavy game, a hard game, and then travel to Bulgaria for, for the away game. I mean, it's better than re- the reverse option. It's better, I think, than, than having to do the legs to Sofia and back and then play the Republic. Um, but equally, I think that's going to be that's going to be a hard weekend. That weekend in October. I agree. Uh, just to, on the, the the weekend's run, Alid Apharry mm-hmm. has messaged on Twitter and says um, more an observation. But a game in Cardiff on Friday and then the following Monday seems a bit inconvenient for those who have to travel far. Easy enough for some, but for North Wales, not so much. Um, what are our thoughts? To be clear, I think the reason it's been I'm not necessarily sure why. In, in, Car- in Cardiff, that's, I'd imagine, a logistical thing. But I think the reason it's happened like that is because of Swe- um, Sweden, Finland Stadium not being not necessarily going to be ready in time. I think that's why there's have to be uh, more away uh, home games at a certain point than away games. But I, I could be could be slightly incorrect on that one. Yeah, Finland is one of those countries that try not to play games there in the November round, I think is how it how it works. Um, so that's one of the reasons why our home game with them has probably ended up as a November game. I mean, the the mon the Friday Monday is is the normal three day gap that is is the UEFA norm. Um, I think that's just the worst scenario, isn't it? The the Thursday Sunday at least gives you one weekend game. The Saturday, Tuesday at least gives you one weekend game. The Friday, Monday is the worst scenario of the lot. Um, because potentially if you wanted to go to both games, you, you're, you're taking the, mon- the, the Friday off work to travel down the Monday and the Tuesday if you're coming from, from North Wales. That's, yeah. you know, people can't commit that amount of time. I think, unfortunately, you've got to look at it from a football perspective as well, which is yeah. you don't really want the team to be travelling round. Uh, or not, you know, in different hotels and different training bases and stuff like that. Unfortunately, and I do get the the, the concern, but they do need to have a you know a settled, steady setup and build up to the games. And I can understand the frustration; I absolutely can. But I think, unfortunately, when you have such a small turnaround, it's uh, it's it's kind of inevitable, really, that they can only stay in in one place. I, I'd guess, you know, if there were more accessible stadia further north in Wales that could host international matches um, for these kind of bigger bigger games, then obviously that would be something that would be considered. But unfortunately in the in the short term at least, it being in South Wales is the only the only option really, unfortunately, I would say. Yeah, I think in some respects I think that's you know, speaking as the North Walian, we we kinda understand that. We get that. The frustration is when it's a Friday game. Because that doesn't help you in any way to to attend. No, no, I I, I totally understand that, and uh, and I and I do completely get the get the frustration <laughs> as well. Um, seven puzzle. Uh, Paul has also sent us a message. He said a great group, very winnable. <laughs> um, so if the World Cup qualifiers don't go to plan, there's possibly another route to Qatar, but buying a t- but via a twelve team playoff uh, and better games in 2022. Mm-hmm. This does get more complicated each time. Uh, there's two questions really. Uh, first off, do we think that they are uh, better than friendlies? And also, like, just our thoughts really on the on the system. So as I understand it, um, there like as Paul says, there'll be a twelve team playoff, and I think mm-hmm. that that means. I think there's only two other teams that get to go to the World Cup then through this 12-tier, 12-team playoff system, Um, which is interesting, really. But I think we've got to the point now where we're trying to make the Nations League more relevant and giving us people a backdoor entry, so to speak, to a, a tournament. And I don't really think it needs that. I think... It either needs to be something where it's a, the, uh, it's a it's a good system of getting into the playoffs for a decent number of teams, where it allowed your kind of lower tier teams to get to the Euros, like we've like we're going to have this time, or it needs to be just its own separate thing. I think going round the houses, playing you know a twelve team knockout tournament and all this other stuff mm-hmm. for two people to to get into the World Cup, I, I think strikes me as a bit unnecessary myself. Yeah, it's 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 complicated. Um, I do think it's 
it's better in inverted commas from a World Cup qualifying point of view in that teams that win their groups, those 10, those 10 are going to Qatar. The 10 that are second are playoffs. And then two more teams, so hence 12 playoff teams, two more teams are coming through the Nations League. So there's a very backdoor way of getting to the playoffs via the Nations League, but your chances of being those two teams are obviously pretty limited. But I like the fact that there isn't a situation where it's, for argument's sake, the, you've got 10 teams that are in second place and some of them make the qualifying rounds and some don't. I do think it's an improvement that everybody that's in second place is going to get a, qualif- uh, a playoff place. Um, so they're creating the 12 playoff places through the 10 teams that are second in their groups and two from the Nations League. And then out of those 12, there's actually going to be three that go to Qatar. So in total, Europe is sending 13 Oh, so this three, I didn't realise that. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, the only thing I don't like about the Nations League is that I I fear it's becoming a bit of a cash cow for UEFA in the sense that like Germany came bottom of their group but still mysteriously didn't get relegated this time around. It kind of worked out nicely for them and that's because they want Germany in the kind of top tiers. Um, Those sorts of things, I I do think that that does bother me a little bit Um, and I don't want us to get that far down the road where, you know, these however many countries have a a set of great games to play against each other all the time and ours just descend into friendlies because you end up you look now we've playing Ireland again you end up we'll probably end up playing a lot of the same teams over and over again through this kind of format Mm -hmm. Um, and I personally don't like that but I, I do like you know to answer Paul's other question there about are they being better than friendlies I do think at the moment at least they are better than friendlies because there is a competitive edge to it because of what you can glean at the other end and you just have to look at the way for example that Wales played against Albania to see the value of these more competitive games to compare to actual kind of friendlies so I do think that they are uh, better than friendlies Are, are you on board with that as well? Yeah my only um only kind of query there of having four teams in the groups now and hence every date in in the in the autumn is a competitive game as opposed to an option of a a couple of friendlies which was the case when it was three teams per group Um, overall i think the four pattern is better Um, i just wondered whether by removing the option for friendlies you perhaps doing a disservice to some of the smaller nations where a friendly is often an important kind of cash cow for them at a federation level um you know you can if we just use our example of a game against a, the game against spain um i know there was you know questions about the amount of money that came in for that and we were using the millennium stage and, and, and all that but let's say that we'd had that friendly five or six years ago and all of the money had gone to the FAW, that would have probably been an important injection of cash at that point. Um, And I just wonder whether we might be um, slightly hamstringing the financial uh, gain that some of the smaller nations can get through these friendlies. No, that's a good point. I I hadn't thought of that. I guess the argument against that is that they are playing more competitive games against teams that they can beat to from a from a mm-hmm. footballing perspective they can improve yeah. um and i agree with that i think it's a good i think it's an improved model for for teams to develop and i think it's given you know it's given the likes of kosovo for example who've gone from well not existing the route which uh has, has kind of been a, a sensible developmental route for them which wouldn't have existed a few years ago no, no, I think that's a that is a fair point. Um, my other concern I have is from uh, for your middle tier teams, who Wales are one of at the moment. I do think when you have more and more of these kind of competitive and in inverted commas games, you're less likely to put out and give more experience to younger players, which is something that has been the foundation really of what our um, current success has been built on. Really, is that you're kind of able to write off is maybe the wrong word, but where you're happy to, you don't mind losing a couple if it means that you're going to get some lads who are going to get some experience and stuff like that. And mm-hmm. I, I feel like all of a sudden you're maybe 
taking away how much a manager wants to do that because you can lose you can live with losing a friendly all of a sudden does a Ryan Giggs think oh, I can't lose too many of these games now my job will be under pressure like that mm-hmm. I, I, I don't know how it affects that uh, longer term and I would say that there's probably less and less young younger players likely to come through um, but I, you know I say that we are kind of maybe a bit of an exception to that because we have put through quite a lot of young players of late so mm-hmm. maybe that maybe that will, will maybe not work out but um, yeah I'm, I'm intrigued as to as to how that the the whole tournament progresses for us. Um, last question for us on the Nations League. Given the mm-hmm. quality, this is from Matthew Baldwin. Sorry, given the quality mm-hmm. of opponent that we'd likely get put into a group with if we were promoted, would you rather us get promoted and pummeled? Is his words um, <laughs> in the ne- in the next round in twenty twenty two twenty three, or stay down and remain somewhat competitive? What are your thoughts? Oh, difficult. Um, I think I would, I think I'd, you know, rather be at the big boys table than not. You know, if you look at what happened to Iceland, for example, in the, in the Nations League, uh, what would it be now, 18 months ago? Um, you know, that, was it a positive experience for them? I'm not sure. Uh, but I, I still think, you know, you'd rather aim for that and have that as a problem to solve, have a, have playing the, you know, in inverted commas, big teams, uh, something to aspire to and something to, you know, put your tactical acumen against. Can we manage it? Um, I, I do think where it becomes a question is kind of what you were talking about a minute ago is is then having the space to be a little experimental and little adventurous, bring in some new caps. You, It's even less likely to happen if you're if that's the scenario you're playing in. I agree. Uh, part of me thinks that it's it would be good for us to test ourselves. And if we, you know, let's be honest, football is all about winning things. And I know it's a, an unlikely event that Wales would, would win something or could win something. But for a, for a country like Wales to kind of improve and develop and, and get better um, to the point where, you know, we could improve on a semi-final appearance means you have to be used to playing those better teams and you have to be mm. used to the challenge that that... Uh, that that generates and I think the only way you do that is by playing those sorts of teams more regularly so from that perspective I definitely think it would be a a step up and one that we would need to take if we want to kind of continue progressing on the football pitch by the same token I I think your point about the the youngsters coming through is is, is a big one Um, and also I think the Iceland example is a little bit different because they have kind of had a bit of a downturn in form in general of late so but I, I would I would still say as a fan as well I would rather go to go and watch Germany play Wales in Munich than I would go to bloody Dublin again or or whatever do you know what I mean like I, I think I think it provides us a lot more opportunities um, than it does not if that makes sense yeah, I mean, I, I I think it would be the sort of problem you want to solve. It would mean we'd be in the top, ranked in the top 12 in Europe. And that's, you know, that's kind of a problem I'd like to have. And I would also say as well that that would aid us in terms of the um, the seedings and whatever for the pots, mm-hmm. for, the, for the World Cup qualifiers and the Euros qualifiers. I think that would make everything a lot easier and a lot better for us, which is yeah. undoubtedly, even if it was only a one-time hit, that boost would be so so valuable i think to, to us so i think for there's the the negatives are massively outweighed in my opinion by the positives yeah agree i also don't think we'd get pummeled i really don't like that word <laughs> um, i've seen the word shellacking a lot recently for some reason and i don't think we'd get a shellacking either but i i prefer the word shellacking anyway completely irrelevant um but we tend we tend to play better the bigger the opposition, you know. It may actually suit us, ironically. No, I can I can go along with that. Um, I don't know. It's an interesting one, and but uh, do you know what? I'd love to be given the opportunity. I mean, who mm-hmm. wouldn't want to be playing? You know, France, Germany, Portugal, or something like that. You know, I think that would be <laughs> that would be an, an interesting lesson for us as a as a football team. But uh, but for for as an experience for fans, I think it would be absolutely superb. Mm-hmm. Um, I have no more questions. Have you got anything else that you want to to mention or bring to the table? No, no. 
Well, there you are, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, we do not have any more things to talk about, which you'll be mightily relieved about, I'm sure. Um, thank you very much I, I, for listening. Go on, Ruth. I'm just going to go and I'm just going to go and sit in the corner, have a little cry about Joe again. Yeah, I know. I'm not. I'm not. I'm trying desperately not to think about it. Um, <laughs> well, there you are. Yes, thank you very much for listening. We are going to be back with a preview uh, for the Austria and USA games. We're hoping to get some Americans on to talk about their team. Um, we are going to talk about, as Ruth has just reminded me, of some of the age grade games that we have coming up. Um, and yes we will be in touch with you very very soon thank you very much for listening goodbye bye bye